Yeah, you know, people also love love watching us flounder. So you know, we'll. <laughs> I'm you know I'm not too worried about it. Um, I'm glad Mom got one in and Sean got one in. Yeah. Um, did you did you skim any of them at all, or are you going into it completely? Blind? I I didn't. In general, I try to go in blind so that my response is always captured uh, genuinely. I I try to skim it so I don't get all of it, but if they ask a question like Sean asks, I like to marinate on it a minute. I support entirely everyone else's different way of doing doing stuff. I just sort of love being put on the spot. Ted Lasso family to the Ted Lasso bros, our season two uh, look back, gathering of feelings, uh, jumping off point for moving forward uh, episode. I don't know what I don't know how numbers and episodes are going to look, but this is definitely the last episode of our season two thing. I am always I'm Jeff. And I'm Will. And I think we could just call it episode five because uh, it's Empire Strikes Back. Oh, you know, buddy, Star you just, just throws out episode numbers. I was just like going to say, you started a we? real, real debate with the idea of what episode is what just then. We're just, I'm just going to throw it out. I mean, Star Wars did it. We can do it. Episodes, we can number them whatever we want. We can just, we can have, I mean, comics does the same thing too. There's how many times is there a number one in, uh, That's true. Know, in a calendar year? Sometimes and a legacy two, number. Three. And then a legacy number on top of that. So this could be episode five. This could be episode eight. Um, yeah, you're episode right. Episode um, We're not, you know, we've already talked in depth about the episodes that we've covered so far. So this is mostly going to be a community building exercise, hearing some other people's opinions, talking about our favorite episodes, um, a couple ideas that have come up. But Will, right off the bat, we've got this great Star Wars segue that you... Uh, that you did with that episode reference. Um, and I hear that we have uh, a bit of a Star Wars conversation to be having here. You know, I just, I, you mentioned it, I don't know, maybe on the first or second podcast discussion. And it's just been, it's just been bouncing around in my head nonstop ever since then. And I just keep thinking about it. And I'm, you know, I picked up a lot watching and thinking about season two and comparing it to season one and thinking about what season three could be. And man, I feel like it could not be a better comparison so yeah, it is. I think it's a great comparison. I can't take credit for it. It is what Jason Sudeikis referred to it as. Like I, I saw him say that like right around the time that the first episode of this season came out, which I think is, um, yeah, it, it is formulated in such a perfect way. Like even as this season has ended um, and people are talking to me about it, like, do you like it more than the last season? Is it, do you, you know, still like it? And I was like, it is, I mean, obviously I love it, but it is such a different type of good season two versus season one. Yeah. So like in, I think it's the very first episode of the season, they even make a star Wars reference or. Oh yeah. Reference. And I'm pretty sure it's directly to empire strikes. It is. Back. Yeah. So He's got to, Higgins has to explain the kiss. Exactly. Uh, yeah. He said, I'm going to go home and watch uh, Empire Strikes Back to the kids. 
Uh, and I felt like that was kind of confirming um, what you said or what Jason Sudeikis said. But then in a, a later episode, when Ted is giving a pep talk to the team, um, I think it's in Rainbows, he talks about fairy tales and being in the dark forest. Mm-hmm. Fairy tales never start or end in the dark uh, in the dark forest, but somewhere right there in the middle, that's where it all happens and you figure things out. And it's 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 going to end and it's going to end out of the dark forest. It may not end exactly the way you expect it to end, but it's going to end and everything's going to work out just fine. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's the same kind of parallel with the show as this it starts in you know this amazing wonderful place and then goes through a bit of this dark forest and then likely comes out the other side um you know with the return of the jedi and there's so many little things throughout the season that draw parallels to it with just the startling um father revelations mm-hmm. comparing it to empire strikes back not just with ted and his father but uh rebecca and her father and all the other father figures and there's so much that ties into that parallel with what happens at Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I like to think Roy Kent is a bit of the Han Solo-ish type of <laughs> a character. Um, you know, there's betrayal, just like there's betrayal in Cloud City in Empire Strikes Back. There's betrayal that takes place in uh, throughout this season, especially with Nate uh, in particular. Uh, there's so many parallels, so it makes me think about what's to come in, in the third season being a kind of a return of the return of the Jedi type of a thing where they kind of can work against and um, people get their redemptions potentially. Yeah. Uh, the Darth Vader style redemption at the end of return of the Jedi, perhaps we'll see something like that. With Nate, I'm looking, sure. Yeah. Looking back to season one and comparing that to a new hope. I mean, even just the word a new hope is kind of what season was season one was, especially in a pretty dark time season one, was a new hope for everyone watching the show for all of us. And it follows that, you know, bit of an arc or Ted Lasso was almost a bit of the Luke Skywalker character, you know, going through this uh, incredible journey um, and then just have ending in a really feel good spot and then starting off in a much darker spot as we move into season two. What are, what are, what are your thoughts? I mean, did you pick up more Star Wars comparisons? Um, I mean, not in the like kind of nitty gritty of it, um, but tonally for sure or even just like structure wise like um season one was this thing that like it did end in a way that you wanted more because the team had been relegated but at the same time um it kind of i think functions or works really well as a standalone thing in the same way that star wars does like if there had never been another star wars movie that first one would have um been able to stand on its own as a thing that is so like the dual nature of a self-contained theme but also a thing that has been birthed a a fantastic legacy i I think they both do that really really well and then from that vantage the second season and empire strikes back are both like the actual opportunity to allow growth for these characters whereas in the first season and you know the a new hope it is just sort of these proof of concept things this is this character here's the hero's journey um but there's a a shallowness not that they're either of those is shallow but there's a, a surface level nature to the plot that goes on and um 
it, it makes sense to me that after that sort of proof of concept, then you finally are like, okay, cool. Well, now we're actually going to be spending time with these characters. So let's start these journeys of growth. And we've talked a lot about how the seeds for that growth is planted um, early on in this series. But at the same time, uh, you know, you, there's, it, you could have never returned to it and it still yeah. would have worked really well. So that the sort of the story arc and the way that I can kind of predict the writers in the writer's room sort of getting into this season all feels very like Star Wars to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think what you said, like not necessarily a shallowness, but a, an accessibility standpoint to a lot of people, a new hope is Star Wars. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's the Star Wars that many, many people think of. And maybe that's the one a lot of people have only ever seen and they like it well enough and didn't need to put time into the others. And that's this, I think, probably going to be the same for some people with Ted Lasso is that season one is, you know, is perfection. Season one is Ted Lasso and uh, season two kind of takes it into, takes it into a new territory and, um, you know, challenges us to be a bit more uncomfortable. And yeah, I think Empire Strikes Back did exactly that. So as then well. be before we transition out of the Star Wars conversation, what's your favorite Star Wars of the original trilogy? Oh, it's Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, me too. Me too. Absolutely. Far and yeah. away. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I hope that there's no Ewoks in season three of Ted Lasso. I thought about that a lot too. I was like, I really, <laughs> I really excited for this to be a return of the Jedi. But then I was like, but please no Ewoks. Like, I like I the Ewoks, but like that return of the Jedi is like, it's mostly Ewok stuff. And it seems like a lot of people, that's their favorite, but it's, it's, they, they just really like Ewoks. Yeah, I, I agree. It's nothing against Ewoks. It just kind of, it's, not what I was necessarily watching it for. And they were, you know, <laughs> trying to sell toys and they wanted to make a planet full of Chewbacca's and then they had to cut it down to Ewoks instead because a, a planet full of uh, um, uh, Wookiees would have just completely destroyed Stormtroopers. So yeah, oh, that's true. Little teddy bears to sell toys as well as make it a bit more of a, an actual challenge. So, Will, I've got, I've got... I've got an email here from someone that we're going to leave anonymous for this one. We're going to be outing people left and right in their emails moving so forward. She did actually say we could use her first. Oh, name. I did okay. talk to her directly and she did say we could use her first name. Okay. Okay, cool. Well then I've got an Ashley. I was going to refer to them as Jared to really throw it all off, but uh, um, so I've got an Ashley email here uh, and it starts off. Wow. Jeff, thank you for seeing me and my fears regarding the weird coach beard episode. I was waiting with sweaty palms, so concerned he was going to die or get injured or something horrible would happen. I was so stressed, but alas, some weird shit happened and I think ultimately he was okay. My relationship with Jamie had really grown by this episode and his abuse from his dad truly broke my heart and resonated with me in terms of abusive family. That portion of the show was so hard for me to watch and sit with and the way Beard project or protects Jamie and throws his dad out was, I don't have words except that even thinking about it now feels like someone is squeezing my heart. Roy hugging Jamie truly sent me into a sobbing disaster. Sidebar, I loved in this episode we get more of the three bar stooges. They're so fun. Speaking of sobbing disasters, no weddings and a funeral. It's like a train wreck. I know it will make me sad, but I must keep re-watching. The way she says how many, how many came and Higgins says all of them, it was just a reminder that this team is a family. It's such a warm moment. It was so personal for me to watch Rebecca's relationship with her mother and her father and Ted's surprise panic attack. Ted's own breakthroughs make the show a million times better. I think it humanizes them all in a way that I didn't anticipate at a comedy show. It really made me look within at my own relationships with my family. However, 
Sam and Rebecca breaking up is also heartbreaking because they were my second favorite couple next to Roy and Keeley, which I also have fears about. Me too. Great. I, I, I also, I, okay. Anyway, um, my secret hope is that she helped him with the down payment on the restaurant he bought and they're actually still together. I, I like that. I like that. I can't name a time I've screamed at my TV more than when Jamie tells Keeley he loves her, obviously distraught by death and the idea of being alone, and she looks pensive like she was just some, it was a big realization and I was just screaming. It was like planting the seed for my worst nightmare. I haven't listened to the last episode, so I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the last scene with Keeley and Roy about the vacation. That killed me. Also, it was that episode where I realized some serious shit was going to go down with Nate. That little whisper from her shithead ex, not sorry, this is the only way he can be described, was not nothing. One more thing. The Doc and Ted's relationship unfolding was so special to watch, it actually felt like a privilege to watch them both become more vulnerable. Also, a kind of reminder that therapists need therapists too. Everyone has mental health needs. Anyway, this feels long. I'm almost done binging the pod. This truly is the best show I've ever watched, and like you two, I've watched many. I'm so grateful to hear your thoughts and retellings and point out Easter eggs I totally missed with my first watch around. I have to do a hang, or I have to go hang a believe poster above my door now. Thank you, Ashley, for that super, you, super Ashley. thoughtful email. Um, I was so rewatching season two. Uh, Gosh, it's so so interesting. My concerns for like the the Keeley Roy stuff, like even right out of the gate, like with Jamie showing back up and whatnot. There is this like weird, like when Keeley responds, he's like, "Yeah, because I deleted your number," and she's like, "You deleted my number." Like, there's this weird amount. I'm also with Ashley in this spot of being relatively concerned about Roy and Keeley moving forward. Yeah, I I very much am as well, and I didn't get a whole lot of reassurances rewatching it other than hoping that they just kind of continue having a conversation of you know what it means for two relatively independent adults to fall in love and figure out how to have a relationship together and I hope they continue to to build off of that but we talked about in the finale just how Roy is feeling potentially feeling a bit abandoned and comparing it to, to Nate and I didn't feel any better rewatching um, you know, the first half of season two again to just kind of get it all back in my head. Um, but what I can tell you, I just, a uh, uh, sidebar, I want to tell you something I think is pretty cool, Jeff, is that uh, I, so I know Ashley and uh, she saw us uh, share the, one of the episodes of the podcast randomly on Facebook uh, a few weeks back and she'd never watched the show. And for she decided to just listen to the podcast for a couple of minutes because she was just, whatever reason, interested in snooping or <laughs> seeing what was going on <laughs> and what we were talking about. And then uh, a few days, I didn't know she did that. A few days later, she just sent me a message and said, I'm about to start watching Ted Lasso. It was like at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I didn't see the message until the next morning. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear how you like it. And uh, she said, oh, we finished season one. And I think it's the best TV show I've ever seen <laughs> It, starting it, season two it uh, is that so and then she made it through uh all of season two so um i'm so happy to see that that she loves it and that we were able to help her help her find the show through the podcast strangely enough that she would listen to the listen to the podcast first before watching the show but that's that's pretty awesome and i'm glad yeah glad she loves it i um i would say about the Keely Roy stuff, it is, it would be very like this show to make me worried that Roy and Keely aren't going to make it 
But I, I, what I think would be very Ted Lasso would be if this show was showing us the portrait of a healthy relationship and a healthy breakup and people still being able to be friends or have some amount of a work relationship together after a breakup. Like I want them to stay together, but I also like trust the show at this point that I think that um, it, it knows what I need more than I want. And, uh, and it, you know, it, I, I, I trust them to do, do those sorts of things in a healthy way. Yeah, I completely agree. And then on, on Ashley's point about just, the Doc Sharon's and Ted's relationship mm-hmm. kind of unfolding and being so special to watch. I just really watching the first half of season one and kind of uh, Doc Sharon coming off kind of cold mm-hmm. and feeling a bit like, what are they doing with this? Where is this going? And kind of that uneasy feeling that you get um, from the first few episodes. And I, uh, I think rewatching it now, it just kind of makes it that more impre- that much more impressive. I agree. Much more special to see. Um, how she's able to grow as an individual character. And while she seems very standoffish and cold, she's learning how to be a better therapist and, um, and their relationships just grows to a, a point that's, that's really impressive and really well written and really well acted and just fantastic, especially coming from a spot where you didn't, maybe we didn't necessarily like it or felt uneasy about it starting out the season. Yep. Well said. Yeah, I was very uneasy, but I do think that it was just an important kind of portion of the journey to say that even our knight in shining armor, Ted has to meet people in the middle um, was, was very, very good. Um, so we got, a, we got another yeah. email, Jeff. Get it. You saw, we got, oh. we, got a, we got a few emails. We got emails. I love it. Thanks for letting us pressure people into sending us emails, everyone. <laughs> um, we, we have an email that uh, from our friend Corwin Marsh. Uh, he says, uh, hey, Ted Lasbros, I just want to say thank you, Will, hey, that's me, for recommending the show and sharing this wonderful and thoughtful podcast series. I really enjoyed the conversations and predictions you two have had. Sorry it's taken me so long to write in. I'm just still so upset with Nate. <laughs> My boy Nate being the villain, being the now villain, really just makes me question what I have to look forward to next season. While still very excited for it, Nate has always been the one I find to be the most relatable, and I really enjoyed watching him grow. Little did I know I was watching little Annie turn to the dark side of mm. Star Wars. Looking back, it's so very obvious. I was nervous this whole season that this would come to be. I was hoping and dreaming for that classic, uh, for a classic Ted Lasso moment where Nate is redeemed. Instead, the worst came to be. Nate let his emotions win and Ted's positivity lost. They did a fantastic job of twisting Nate into a very easy to dislike character and setting him up as the Jamie of this season. Hopefully his redemption arc is a little more than Jamie's, assuming he gets one. I guess we will see. I believe that Nate will have his Vader episode six redemption moment and take down Emperor Rupert. What I really wanted was to have him take over the team when Ted is sent back home, but that feels like it's a little out of reach at this point. Anyways, I'm really excited to rewatch the show and get to listen to your insights along the way believe Corwin. Corwin, I think that <clears throat> the idea of Nate taking over the team after Ted goes home is a actually a a really solid prediction. I think it's a pretty solid prediction. I can see how it might feel out of reach now, but also Jamie coming back to the team felt a bit out of reach. That's true. I did a pretty good job executing that. I had a friend who I got to be start watching it and he's like, you know, three quarters of the way through season one he's like but man i hate jamie he's such a prick and i'm like yeah also everyone's a human and they do a pretty great job of you know humanizing him by season two uh i 
I think it's interesting, even just touching on the Jamie thing, looking at everyone's character arcs for this season and the series so far, the Jamie one is so interesting because it's so self-motivated. Uh, it's not necessarily like he doesn't have this mentor that's constantly around him, encouraging him, kind of correcting his behavior. He just like left the team and recognized that uh, he needed to do some growing. And, you know, especially watching the first half of season two again, it it really is impressive that he there. I don't know. There was just a call to action with him to become a better person, and it wasn't necessarily a mentor right there saying you need to do this. So I, I just really liked the self motivated nature of Jamie's arc in this season too. I also think they did a good job planting a lot of the seeds. I mean, in general, they planted a lot of seeds that have really paid off in in this season. But they they showed us jamie's dad for the first time you know in the end in the finale for season one you know when ted goes to you know congratulate jamie on making that extra pass and his dad is there um you know being the asshole that we come to know him as a lot more later on so i think they did a really good job kind of planting that seed and letting it letting it grow in this season and nate so so corwin talks about how he finds nate to be the most relatable character and i really like that because there are so many different characters on the show. And as you and I have talked, you know, I think we've personally drawn a lot of parallels to mm-hmm. Ted as a character because of, you know, our jobs or our responsibilities or just the type of people we are in life, both struggling with like a, a leadership role, but also having a bit of social anxiety. And um, so it's interesting to see Nate as a relatable character. And he really genuinely is because he's, you know, when we first meet Nate at the very beginning of season one, versus the person he kind of becomes towards the end of season one and then continues to grow into in season two. Um, A lot of people go through that journey. And I I think it's easy to finish season one hating Nate and being upset that he's the villain. But I think it's a really important conversation to have. And, you know, we talked about it in the finale discussion of what happens to Nate and kind of the neglect, how much he was Ted, you know, really nurtured him throughout season one and helped him grow outside of his shell and had a lot of one-on-one time with him. And we actually see, um, I think the last time we see Nate and Ted have time together is when Ted has that one-on-one conversation with Nate and in, in, in season one and tells him to give that pep talk to the team when he apologizes for blowing up with them, blowing up at him and says, you should give this. And then, you know, Nate roasts the team and motivates them to go out there. That's the last time we see Ted and Nate together on screen by themselves until the finale, when Nate and Ted have that big blow up moment. And I don't really hate Nate because really, especially seeing the big first half of season one again, you can see it slowly just chipping away. Like there's a series of um, you know, I read, I read Nick Muhammad who plays Nate, I read like a big Twitter post that he, but, and he pointed out, there's just a series of microaggressions. And when you're really tuned into them and really looking for them, they're just happening constantly mm-hmm. so much around, um, when Roy is recruited to be a coach and how mm-hmm. much that does to Nate and make him feel kind of cast aside. And now Roy immediately comes in and makes some changes and everybody's like, it's the Roy Kent effect. And he's being celebrated by everybody on the media and everything else. And, um, you know, what Nate gets instead is he gets, he gets made fun of for mispronouncing Wonder, Wunderkind 
uh, and saying Wonder Kid. And that was kind of what he got. And Ted never said, hey, great job winning that game. All of these things just continued to build up on Nate. And I can see why what happened happened, why he, everything that he did, why it happened. And it sucks as the way that it happened and it shouldn't have happened that way, but um, he was really nurtured and uh, by Ted and helped grow out of this shell that he had been in for so long in his life uh, to then be completely, he, he was completely abandoned by Ted. Not, not, not on purpose from Ted, but Ted had other things going on and was focused on continuing to grow the team more and kind of just forgot about Nate and it was, it was really kind of sad. Yeah, I I do agree that on the one hand I do like it's very frustrating and I'm like Nate fuck you Nate, but I think that it is incredibly human and I identify very much with what he's going through. I don't necessarily uh agree with how he deals with those feelings, but the feelings are very real and I think everyone can identify with them. So I think that it speaks even just to a heightened level of his ability to be a character that we can all relate to um, very, very strongly. He He's he's great. And I do love that uh, the very first shot of this season as the, you know, fades out of black is zooming out of Nate's face which is then the final shot of the season. So it's bookended by this ultimately transition of Nate. Um, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It does raise the question of just sort of like when you are helping somebody and when you are nurturing somebody, what is your responsibility over time? You know, and I, I struggle with that because I love connecting with people and bonding with people, but it's hard, you know, like you don't ever want to abandon people, but you also need to like, at some point you've helped people grow and, at what point is that, you know, like, do, do you have a responsibility to them? You know, it, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting question. Um, I got an email from Sean Marshall, who works at the comic shop I work at. Sean Will? Marshall, I like that guy. I like that guy a lot. Um, really good guy. Hello there. I love Ted Lasso. And I love that during the times when I can't be rewatching it, I have lovely people like you two buddies to break things down and discuss the show we all love so much, like Ted Lasso himself. You're both powerful beacons of hopeful and positive energy. I find your banter to be comforting and inviting, and I appreciate that you aren't afraid to be honest about topics that can be upsetting. Keep up the great work. I can't wait for your coverage of season one and somewhere down the line season three. With season three in mind, I do have a few questions for you, like... Do you think that Nate will get a proper redemption arc or do you think that he has been lost to Darth Rupert and the dark side? Another question, which character do you hope to see more of in season three and who would you like to see less of? Finally, what are the wildest predictions for season three? Thank you both for finding the time in your busy lives to be doing these. I love you both. Your friend, Sean. Bonus question. Any comic book recommendations that have a similar vibe to the show? So question one, do we think that Nate will have a proper redemption arc? I think he will. I think he will. I, and I, I like Darth Rupert. I, I yeah, always I think too. of uh, Rupert as the emperor. Yeah, you're right. Darth, but, <laughs> and that Nate maybe is a, the Darth. Uh, like Corwin said, the little uh, Anakin. Uh, yeah. Little Annie turn into the dark side. I don't think um, that, I don't think that they would, just based on people, you know, I don't think that we've been exposed, we, we've met, and found the insecurities and strengths and weaknesses of Nate. I just don't believe that we're going to close the door on all the good parts of him that we know. Like I'll toss the word around a little loosely, but he is kind of a victim in this situation. He's also handling it poorly and creating other victims. But I, I, I think that a 
a proper redemption arc is important, and I do think that we'll get it. I don't think that he's going to be a bad guy. I think that he might struggle as a coach. I mean, mm-hmm. I really wonder, right? You you kind of only see a very glimpse of them, um, uh, you know, practicing or doing uh, training, and it looks like they're kind of like all serious and no no fun, right? You compare it to um, Richmond and and their practices and kind of having fun and everything's a bit loosey goosey and everything looked really uh, really sharp and everyone's running their drills and there's kind of a no nonsense attitude right. going on there. Uh, my initial thought is that Nate will will potentially struggle and have to try to figure out and find his way and I, then eventually I find his way back to Ted in and some way, shape, or form. To that point, like in episode one of season two, there is a moment where one of the players is like, hey, can I get practice off tomorrow to go have my see my mom for her birthday? And Nate's response is, and what position does your mom play on the team? You know, like it, they've been broadcasting this whole season that he has this idea of like strangling something, you know, like having control over it, working really hard. He doesn't really have awareness of, uh, well, you know, kind of like that inverting the pyramid, like the uh, the title of the final episode, but just like he's focused on the top and he's not focused on building up from the bottom, which is community and support and uh, freedom to do stuff. So look at that cat. Yeah, get a cat out of here. Uh yeah, he kind of just slowly moves. He keeps moving further down this, like screaming at players from the sidelines. And we see the, the I noticed the first time he wears the suit to, uh, to the games, it's right after he um, has that powerful moment in the restaurant where he, mm-hmm. you know, spits in the mirror and then gets, the, gets to the table at the window. And so wearing that suit now makes him feel more powerful. So then he wears it to the, to the game and that also took place after Roy became an assistant coach when Roy came walking up in a suit to join right. him at the sidelines the first time in the all black suit and so then Nate comes uh to in the gray suit feeling powerful Ted compliments him and Nate's like it's not too much and then he just keeps going further and further down that to eventually by the end he's wearing an all black suit at the final game the same that Roy was wearing so he's he sees how Roy is a rough and gruff person and I feel like he's trying to mimic that but he doesn't know how to make it endearing in the same way that Roy can continue to make it endearing somehow yet being a very vulgar individual where Nate is just vulgar and mean straight up. Um, Characters you would like to see more of. I would like to see more of the sassy Ted relationship. That was a thing while watching season two again, I was like, Oh, I love these two. And I also love the idea of Ted's relationship, not necessarily being, this like quote unquote Ross and Rachel type thing, but just this, like these two get along. It's not crazy. They're not like, there's not this like huge arc about it. It's just that like she enjoys him and he enjoys her. And um, I like getting to see that side of him. So I, I hope a little bit more of that and then less of God, that's hard because I love everyone. Yeah. I can't think of anybody that I would want to see less of less of, Rupert because right but even still you need him too yeah you need him to come in and stir things up and keep it interesting that's a that's a really tough question less of I can tell you who I definitely want to see more of um I want so I have a couple I want to see more of Higgins just because I just absolutely love him and I think he's on it a pretty fair amount but I just every time he's on screen he makes me laugh he's 
he's just such a nice, genuine person. He's got a great family. He loves his wife. There's just some great moments with his wife uh, in the season as well. I'd love to see more of Higgins anytime I possibly can. I would like to see, I think we saw her only one time this season. And I felt like she existed for more of a reason watching season one. And I can't remember her name, but there's the girl that Ted sees playing soccer a couple of times in the first season out on the street. And at one point he's, she's watching his son while his, him and his wife can do their breakup thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw that girl a handful of times and then I'm pretty sure we see her um, when Roy takes uh, Isaac uh, when Ted right. and Roy take Isaac to play, I think she's playing soccer there, but that's how we see her. And I'd love to see her a bit more. I thought that there was, there was something that they were going to do with her. In fact, when I was watching season one, I was making a prediction myself of like, I wonder if she'll get recruited to be like a part of the team or part of the coaching staff at some point. And then we barely see her in season two and right. um, not sure about that. And then frankly, I, I want more coach beard. I know that we get, we got beard after hours and it was like a big blast to the face of coach beard. And, you know, we we had mixed feelings about the episode itself. Um, we st- overall still liked it, but it was a lot of beard for one episode and knowing where that came from. But he, I think to me, is the most, still, I think, the most underdeveloped character to a degree. I mean, we get pieces of him and he's meant to be a bit mysterious. Uh, but every time we learn some facts about him, uh, I just, it's, I love it. It's, it's wonderful. It's fun. I'd love to hear more about, you know, what it was, like he said, Ted saved his life and you know, that's mm-hmm. why why he follows him around but we still don't know a lot about coach beard despite everything and we know a lot more about just about everyone else uh so yeah. that's who i'd really love to see see more of but i still all that i can't think of who i would want to see less right of. yeah i beard i love i i want more of him obviously because i want to know more about him but i do think he works kind of like deadpool like very well as a spice but not as a fundamental ingredient if that makes sense, like everything he does is phenomenal. Um, but I like appreciating it, you know, like yeah. a, a scarcity thing. But yeah, you might be right on that. I just feel like he's the most of a caricature out of yeah. anybody in the show. Everybody else feels like a fully fleshed out, developed character. And he still feels a bit, a bit one dimensional, I guess. I don't, I don't know about wildest predictions. I haven't. <sighs> I think that I've been kind of almost intentionally not predicting things as of the final, like third, third of season two. Um, because a lot of my predictions are more, less predictions and more concerns about a way that I don't want it to go or something, but uh, wildest predictions. I mean, I don't know about wild, but I do think, yeah, Ted will leave. Uh, I think, I think the idea of Nate coaching the team is a pretty logical Um wildest predictions i guess right now i do kind of feel like roy and keely might break up but i don't want them to um yeah uh, there's probably something about sam in there too but yeah i don't know would you have a wild prediction i think that well so i made a couple so i'll just read from from the finale discussion um where i think that trent Krim will write a book on ted that's great and potentially spend the season shadowing Ted in and out. So we might even see Trent a lot more um, doing so. That's somebody and I would like to see more of. That's somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, we have the same prediction about, you know, the, maybe the second to last episode and Rebecca coming in to do her annual truth bomb on Ted and potentially sending him home. 
to mm-hmm. be with his son. My really wild prediction is that when Ted goes home, he doesn't coach sports anymore. Mm-hmm. That he goes home and maybe becomes a, a, a maybe he takes after Doc and mm. becomves a uh, a therapist or an advocate but for an advocate mental health, for it, but maybe even a sports therapist. Yeah, um, because frankly, a lot of what he does is therapy uh, in general, and it's really it's really capped out when uh, in the finale. Yes, in the finale when. Roy comes in and wants to, you know, assemble the diamond dogs and they, Roy just talks about how it hurt his feeling mm-hmm. and Ted says, shares him for thanking it. And then that's it. And they have that like, Whoa, the therapy is just, you know, or, you know, the diamond dogs is just talking about something, but not <laughs> solving it. And that's what Ted has kind of learned about therapy a bit is sometimes it's just putting it out there where that we saw that between Ted and, and, uh, Sharon continuing to put things out there, but not needing to talk about it right then and there. And maybe later is a better time to talk about it. So that's my wild prediction is that maybe Ted does go back to America and becomes an advocate, but potentially becomes a uh, a sports therapist. Psych- I like psychiat- psychiatrist or psychologist. I always psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist is the one that like prescribes medicine and stuff. Psychologist is a little less doctorate. Um, so Dr. Sharon is a psychologist. She could be both. I, she might be able to be prescribing medicine. Okay. They're they're honestly, um, you know, I think colloquially they can be referred to as the same thing. But okay. yeah, therapist is probably the best the best term there. Um, I watched Jason Sudeikis on Saturday Night Live last night because he hosted, and uh, I noticed that the dance that he does in the video where he's like with the teams is the same dance that he does for What's Up with That, which uh is hilarious yeah and that was you're right i'm glad you brought that up because that was my other prediction was that like ted will finally be free of all of the baggage of everything and be able to really enjoy the moment and i i casually rewatched season one also in the last two weeks since we talked last so i kind of casually rewatched all of season one and half of season two to kind of relive all of that and i will stick to this what I said before that there's there's not been a single moment in the show where they've had this just incredible team building moment or mm-hmm. this incredible moment for the team that Ted has not been able to enjoy a single time and yep. even rewatching it it held up to that so that prediction is that you know Ted will finally get that moment and that's when we will see that dance when he can just be <laughs> free the same way that coach beard was in beard after hours where he finally just let go and was free at the end we will see that come to fruition uh, by the end of season three. So before we get into ranking our favorite episodes, we've got a bit of an email from Josh here. And I think you're going to do some paraphrasing because it's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful amount of thought. Yeah. So uh, Josh Verhalen here is a, uh, uh, is he a soccer expert? Uh, he's, he's, he's one of the most knowledgeable people in soccer that I know personally. Um, so he sent us some insight on soccer uh, and how it ties into the show a little bit. And I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to dive into this a little bit. He sent us a lot of information and it is, it is wonderful. Uh, him and his fiance just finished watching season two um, right before they sent this email. So I believe he'd only gotten through the first episode or so of the podcast. Um, and he's, Josh says here, 
Uh, there's very little I can say about what makes the show what it is that you guys didn't cover in the first episode of your podcast. It's funny, it's wholesome, it's relatable. It teaches and inspires and shines a light on social issues without being preachy. It makes me want to be better. Deep in my heart, I want to believe there are Sam Obasanyas, Ted Lassos, and Trent Crims out there. And when I do, I feel better about the world. Now, in truth, the show isn't really about soccer. It uses soccer to tell its character stories. But with each episode, especially in season two, it becomes more obvious that the premise uh, it, it used to hook its initial set of viewers, being a funny show full of silly jokes about a clueless American football coach in England, was never really the plan. It was always going to be a wholesome drama with relatable, fleshed out characters that happened to work for a soccer team. But I love soccer. The show does still feature a soccer team, and I still want to talk about soccer. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh, so, so Josh goes on to say, uh, I remember the ads and the Ted Lasso character as a whole on NBC Sportsnet. Uh, I know you mentioned the ads were used to promote soccer and NBC leading up to the 2013 Premier League. You may have mentioned this later on, but this was actually a huge moment in the sport for the, in, for the sport in the U.S. Soccer is unequivocally the most watched, loved sport in the world. But until recently, its popularity in the U.S. was limited to select areas, usually driven by the prevailing ethnicity. I grew up playing the game in Arizona, just like everyone else. I'm guessing Will saw similar participa participation levels in Southern California. Actually, I did. I played soccer for like 10 years as a kid growing up. Um, hugely popular just to play as a sport, as a kid. Um, <clears throat> now, it's never going to top American football for popularity, but compared to where it was 10 years ago, it's really blossomed. It's now the fourth highest attended uh, sporting league in the U.S. and Canada, and a lot of that can be credited directly to NBC and indirectly those Ted Lasso commercials. Prior to 2013, ESPN held the rights to the Premier League and arguably the top soccer league in the world. The worldwide leader in sports, in quotations, generally treated soccer the same way it treated hockey, basically like it didn't exist. Watching a sports center highlight package was cringe cringeworthy. Anchors didn't use proper terminology. It's probably the way Josh feels hearing us talk about soccer as well. Uh, mispronounced the names of world famous players and generally sound uninterested. This was largely reflective of the nation's feelings about the sport. Just looking at ESPN press release leading to their 2012 coverage of the EPL season, they announced a total of 15 whole matches over a seven-week seven period across their four channels, including one online only. At the time, this was big news. This was the most consistent coverage we've ever gotten that wasn't a World Cup. Then NBC came along. They saw their initial embers of what could turn into a raging bonfire of soccer support in the U.S., they committed to wall-to-wall -wall coverage on match days. There was going to offer dedicated pre- and post-match shows, studio programming, and a weekend wrap-up show. They weren't going to Americanize the coverage. Terminology would be correct. Studio talent would be experienced and uh, able to intelligently converse about the league and sport. They were going to launch a podcast. They were going to offer as many matches as possible on their family of networks and online and promote the hell out of it. And the Ted Lasso promos were a big part of all of that. They were meant to be jokingly poke fun at the average American football fan in a truly British way. And I laughed, hell, I laughed a lot. So those are awesome. That's awesome information that I did not have at all. Yeah. So Josh wants to point out a couple of soccer related uh, points that he wants to mention. Um, so he spent a lot of time looking at the show and the team and characters and comparing them to actual teams and soccer players. The original Ted Lasso was the new manager of Tottenham. I believe that's how it's pronounced a usually top five club in England. In the show, he manages the fictitious AFC Richmond, but I'm going to guess that because the 
cost to procure the rights to use Tottenham or any real club would have been astronomical. As far as I can tell, there's no Richmond anywhere in the English soccer pyramid. This is, however, a Richmond football club. There is a Richmond football club rugby team that even call, they call every damn sport football in England as an AFL Richmond in the Australian Football League. Uh, Richmond plays at the fictional Nelson Road Stadium in Richmond, London. It is, in fact, Selhurst Park in Selhurst, Croydon hmm. Borough, London, the home of Crystal Palace Football Club. Richmond itself is loosely based on Crystal Palace, the same stadium, same kit and colors, though Crystal Palace actually plays Richmond in season one. I remember that. Uh, the entirety of English football, the English pro professional football exists as a rough pyramid. As we've noticed, Coach Beard frequently reads the book, Inverting the Pyramid, um, about English soccer. Teams are promoted or relegated based on their performance during the season. At the top of the pyramid, three teams go up for AFC Richmond. To join the Premier League, another team had to be relegated and also replaced entirely because Richmond doesn't exist. Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out who exactly Richmond replaced in the Premier League and was able to narrow it down to a few that weren't Richmond opponents based uh, mentioned in broadcast or shown on score tickers, but couldn't figure it out with certainty. It is Brighton and Hove Albion, commonly known as Brighton, just as Brighton. So are there two teams named as Brighton? Is that like Sheffield Wednesday playing on Saturdays? I'm not sure. Uh, who have been a top flight team since 2017 or finished all four of those seasons in a battle to stay up. This is indicated by the AFC Richmond News Twitter account, as in a universal page that tweets updates on the team, whose authenticity is debatable. So a couple more things. One of the, uh, one of the things that really bothers me is how the show look, soccer looks in the show. It's not just staged. It doesn't even look real. The ball clearly isn't moving in the way that it would if it were kicked, and even the players don't move like real people. I don't expect them to feel 22 professionals to film the show, but if you're going to tie important plot points to the game, at least make it look like the game. So I want to, I want to pause for two seconds on that. What I want to pause about that is watching the game. I guess as a non-soccer fan, I don't really notice that, but I do know that anytime a TV show or a movie moves into something that I'm more familiar with, you can quickly spot the cracks. I think that's just a common thing in any sort of, uh, you know, TV show or, or movie is that, subject matter is going to always kind of look a bit staged mm -hmm. the one thing that really stands out to me in season two is the crowd looking pretty cgi'd yeah at, at moments and then when they have close-up shots you see people are pretty socially distanced you see like just people sitting all really far apart from each other obviously filming during covid time so they had people very socially distanced apart and then any crowd shot is a pretty obvious CGI, but I would say as a non-regular soccer fan, I don't, the, the fake soccer doesn't really stand out to me that much. Does it stand out to you? No, it didn't stand out to me at all. I mean, I, I did mention earlier in the podcast that I, I think that there's like, because like Josh points out, it's definitely, um, you know, soccer is used as a tool to be telling a story. And because of that, sometimes there's not as much gravity to the actual sporting as I kind of wish there was uh, be, 
it's almost like the the rules and the, a lot of the stuff that he's positing in this is sort of hidden behind um a curtain or something so we just see like goals or we just see the last bits of things so it doesn't bother me at all but i do think that there's a lack of kind of overall weight to the soccer itself because of the way that it's used in the story yeah so i'll, I'll just touch on a couple of more things here from josh's email but one of the things he wants he points out is how absolutely how the show absolutely nails its uh, how soccer is integrated into English culture. Mm. Uh, you know, he visited England back in 2017 and went to an FA Cup match, and the pubs were all full of fans and packed. And it's probably pretty similar. I, to me, I was trying to think about it most comparing it to US. It's probably similar to how like college football is in like mm-hmm. college towns, where you probably get packed into into bars in some of those areas or pockets and soccer is soccer football i'm guessing is the only big sport in england so like everybody just rallies around it um so i think that's really cool and then um unrelated to soccer directly one of my favorite episodes and scenes in particular came from season two i don't remember the episode number offhand when roy kent took isaac to the street pitch he grew up playing on just to have fun and get out of his own head to remember why he loves the game it just affirmed everything Ted has been doing with the team last season plus. He doesn't know much about the game, but he knows a lot about people and motivating them and making them their best. And seeing Roy Kent embrace and embody that idea then pass it on to Isaac really, really moved me. <laughs> so Josh, has, he has a lot more to say about than he thought. Uh, there's a couple of things that I, I jumped over to save us time that I think might be worth saving for one of our next right. discussions, or maybe we can even invite Josh on here one, with us sometime to talk more about soccer. Um, but also, um, I think we will be expecting an email from his fiance Megan as well, because she has a lot of uh, um, a lot of different thoughts that are less soccer related. Um, so I'm excited to look forward to that when uh, when we get that in. But yes, thank you for that, thank Josh. you That's for that very comprehensive and thoughtful email. Bit of a yeah, that was a soccer flex. Um, so. Since I'm actually, uh, before too long today, headed down to Seattle to watch an American football game, um, well, let's well, let's tackle our top three episodes here before we scoot through the last couple of emails. So, Will, I'm curious, how do you want to do this? Do you want to take turns doing it? Do you? I, it was hard for me to kind of. I have a. I was like, all right, these are my three favorite, I believe. But even ranking from there is kind of tough for me. I think uh, it was really hard for me. I, you know, I threw it out. I said, hey, Jeff, let's rank, let's rank our top three episodes of the season, thinking it was going to be pretty easy. I thought it was going to be easy, yeah. And then, and then I had a list of five, and I was like, oh, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, I, I think we should go back and forth. If yours okay. isn't in a top three perfect. I think um, I've got it. I think I do, but yeah. But I'll, I think Josh's email actually transitions perfectly into my third favorite episode, which mm-hmm. is Rainbows. Um, which is the kind of the rom communism and when Roy gets recruited by Ted to become a coach on the team. Um, the reason why this is in my top three is because it is kind of the quintessential Ted Lasso episode. Like when you look at season one and a lot of the just funny and feel good and challenging people to step up to their next level of their capabilities and maybe step out of their comfort zone a little bit more and helping people just realize who they really are and what makes them happy. This episode has it in spades. The music is just on fire in this episode. And uh, 
when Roy, the, the movie references are all hilarious, all the relationship stuff, all the rom-com stuff that just caps out with Roy having that big moment and that big realization when he's on camera that, no, I need, this is where I need to actually be and how well that, it was just kind of a, a paying homage to the, uh, the rom-com movies of old and Roy running to the stadium and uh, she's a rainbow from the Rolling Stones playing mm-hmm. during that whole thing. It's just a fantastic episode that really just kind of captures everything that we loved about Ted Lasso season one in that episode. I will say that is on my top three list, but I would say, and again, these three are probably inches apart. The I can say, I think that these are my three favorite episodes, but you know, it's probably a toss up for the order, but I would say of the three, third would be no weddings and a funeral. Um, I, and it's up there because I think it is also quintessentially Ted Lasso because it's got all of this love and celebration and touching stuff in it. Uh, it's probably third because I I think that its rewatchability is not quite as high as the others. So I think its quality puts it in the top 1% of them. But um, because of the emotional weight of it, I wouldn't necessarily want to just casually sit down to rewatch that episode. Um, but yeah, that that's that's third for me. Yeah, so that's actually my second. Okay, well, episode. my second is Rainbows. So we've just Rainbows. done a little swap there. So it's my second episode. And I, I thought back and forth a lot about a lot. And I like it because I think it challenges us more. I think mm-hmm. that Rainbows is a great feel-good episode that doesn't necessarily challenge us. And when I sat just trying to objectively look at the quality of the episodes, I do I do absolutely agree that rewatchability should play into it. But it was hard to ignore how much the episode affected me mm-hmm. personally. And because the episode had such a incredible effect over me personally and even watching it two times or three times and still having it have such a strong emotional effect on me uh i i can't i can't rank it any lower than that because of that um it was rainbows is what we what we love about ted lasso and what we what we love about season one and i think that no weddings and a funeral is kind of what we encapsulates what we love about season two so much mm-hmm. it challenges us and that's exactly what season two challenged us to think beyond just the positivity it's still there but we always have to dig a little bit deeper because there's always a lot more going on yeah and i agree with all of that and then rainbows as well what what you said about it i think is perfect i just uh the the scene of Roy marching out of the room when the person like the other sportscaster, like they have this wonderful bromance moment. Like that whole final act of that episode is like, it gives me goosebumps. It did all the times that I've watched it. Uh, I just think it's so fantastic. So now I'm curious what both of our number one episode is, or if they're even related. So before I reveal my number one episode, I just, because I had to cheat a little bit of my top five, I just want to throw out the honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, honorable mentions, and it was really hard, but uh, Man City uh, was almost in my top three. Absolutely phenomenal episode. Uh, very, very strong. And then uh, Carol of the Bells. Mm. I would just put that as maybe one of my favorite Christmas episodes of any TV show I've ever seen. It's so strong. It's so heart-filled. Uh, I actually feel like I might be able to show that episode to my kids. <laughs> I maybe need to watch it one more time and see. I guess there is sexy Christmas. Yeah, maybe. there's yeah, there's the girlfriend stuff, but but I, yeah. but uh, there's so much about it that's just wholesome and makes you feel good. And I honestly, I can't wait for 
like the day for Thanksgiving to be over that I can put my Christmas lights up and I can throw on the Ted Lasso Christmas. I disregard scheduling entirely. I'm already like one foot in Christmas right now. But so what is your number one? uh, Number one, inverting the pyramid of success. Okay. All right. I, I think it is, I think it is the best of what, uh, rainbows and no weddings and a funeral is i think it's both of those things i think it's what we love about season one and i think it's what we love about season two i think it has a lot of feel-good moments um it's a lot of fun to watch it's rewatchable, uh but it also still has heavy emotion and it really dives into what's going on with ted and nate that really dives into mental health stuff a bit more and we see ted finally take that step that he needs to take on on a, addressing mental health and challenges us with Roy and uh, Keely and Rebecca and Sam. And so there's just, it sticks the landing mm-hmm. for the season. For a season that maybe the first couple of episodes you were stuck wondering, where is the season going to go? It really, really sticks the landing and puts together everything that happens in season one and in season two all together in just a phenomenal finale. When I started this list, that episode and Midnight Train to Royston, the final two episodes, were like the ones that I assumed were like probably my favorite episode. And I, I you know, I don't, I kind of refined my paradigm, not necessarily in a positive way, but I, 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 I sanded it down to be different. And both of those would probably be my four and five episodes, Midnight Train to Royston. They have such great moments in them. I do totally agree with what you're saying. For me, my favorite episode is your honorable mention, Man City, which is... I think that it had, for me, emotional beats. Um, I just think that that was like the most engrossed in the season that I was. Like that that moment there, like the things happening, the turns that it was taking, the cliffhanger with the beard stuff, um, the revelation about Ted's dad. Um, you know, that's the one that I believe Dr. Sharon has the the concussion in like that. I feel like the growth between the two of those characters within that episode, like that to me is it, it really, you know, not from the objective standpoint of objectively the best episode, but for me kind of the emotional intensity of it and the rewatchability of that emotional intensity. Um, that's really for me, the, the crown jewel of the season for me. What a great episode. What yeah. A, what a great season. You know, I think that, it's uh it's interesting to see how what the roller coaster the second season is but Mm -hmm. to be able to go back and then try to make a top three list you realize like that there are so many good episodes and there are so many good moments in the season um i think there have you know some people i haven't spent a ton of time reading criticisms about the show but i think that some people maybe feel like that the show's lost its magic Ooh, yeah, I was worried about that at the beginning, but they're looking for it to be uh, an emulation of season one all over again. And I think that I think that would have been a mistake. I do, too. I think there's something to be said about expectations in general. Season one existed as a completely different thing. People, it, people weren't all waiting to tune into it, you know, night one, week one of the show airing. Right. It was a word of mouth show that most people consume season one is a binge because they heard about it from a friend you know you consumed it as a binge i think we watched it relatively quickly because i had heard some positive things about it and it was in a time where we all really needed it so it was like 
really exactly when everybody needed it, exactly the right time. And then everybody binged it with zero expectations, right? Mm -hmm. Other than somebody said, you really have to watch this show. It's fantastic. Um, People's expectations for the show were kind of non-existent. And so then season one being you know, arguably one of the greatest single seasons of a TV show <laughs> of all to time have ever existed. Yeah. Now going into season two, you're almost you're 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 doomed to fail in some people's eyes because yeah. you, how can you recapture the magic? And I think what they did and what you've said many times, it's so brave of them to, you know, poke holes in the character that is Ted, not necessarily as an, a flawed individual. Well, he is a flawed individual, but not in a negative sense that he has baggage and he has. Um, you know, other things that he's not just this amazing, perfect individual. He has a lot of other things going on in his life. And that's also led him to neglect Nate and other neglect his child and other things like that. Um, So it's interesting to see how people's expectations have completely flipped in the way that they've watched and perceived the show. And I think there's still a really, really positive reception, but there's like anything else that's had tremendous success um, when a second season rolls around, there's always critics that kind of come out of the limelight to try to bring a show down a peg or two i totally agree moving along before we get out of here we do have a couple more emails and a voicemail that i haven't heard yet and i don't think you've heard yet from a django born who's one of our collective favorite people but before we get there i'm gonna read an email that we won't it's from my mom it's from my mom hi jeff's mom hey kathy kip hey last bros I have been a huge fan of Ted Lasso since my son, Jeff, turned me onto it last year. I've been touched by the storylines, the characters, and the message of kindness, integrity, and honesty that shines through it in every episode. But I have to say that listening to your discussion about and your analysis of the weekly episodes has taken me to a greater level of appreciation. I'm touched by the vulnerability and transparency about yourselves and your lives that you share with all of us and your audience. I respect the courage that such honesty takes on your parts. It is always a gift to us. You opened my eyes to things I would never catch in terms of references to movies and music and culture. I'm so glad that you're going to go back to the start of the beginning of season one for the weekly podcast. I know that you will help me re-see these episodes with greater depth and thus even greater enjoyment. Thank you so much, Will and Jeff. Carry on the Kipster, which is what I call my mom. Is that is that you call your mom the Kipster? Yeah, I and other people, my high school friends, we would all call her the Kipster because she... Uh, yeah, she's she's good. That's Thanks, wonderful. Mom. You're sweet. Um, if anyone is curious about why I talk the way that I do so often, and especially vulnerably, it is certainly the Kipster's influence. Thanks, Jeff's mom. Thanks, the Kipster. And I personally apologize for Dick Fight Island. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a good episode of a podcast. I'm glad she started. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, while you get that email ready for uh, that voicemail ready from Django, can I uh, read a, a, an email from Nathan Butcher? Please do. Dearest Last Bros, season two being finished has left us with a hole at the end of every day where with all of the media available in the world, all we want to do is watch a new episode of Ted Lasso. Teresa and I legitimately just smile and get everything wholesome out of the show. Makes me a better dad, makes us believe in the world. Heck, makes us believe in media. Season two made us realize that the series didn't just get lucky in season one. Keeley has been such an amazing character, and while being one of the most refreshingly honest characters in what seems like television history, she's also fallible and has sometimes been deceitful. She's so real to us. She's to us, she's season two's Ted. Not in the sense of being the main character, but in the sense of the characters themselves 
are who illustrate what the show is to society. It's probably a half-baked point, but it was formed enough to type this, so here you go. Have a fun recap. Y'all are great. Sincerely, no, not that Nate. <laughs> P.S. I hope Nate tries to kiss Rupert's wife like he did Keely so we get to watch Nate finally have consequences for his douchebaggery. That's what his character is missing. He'll have it coming. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I do think Nate does need to face some consequences. I think it's an interesting point because I think that his low self-esteem and insecurity I can identify with is a consequence enough. Like I, I bet that he beats himself up plenty, but some actual outside consequences would be good. And I think that that point about Keeley is really, really good and not half-baked. I think that she acts as a great, role model for people in relationships um the, the adult nature of her and roy's relationship i think is really really impressive and i think she's a really incredible character completely agree and i want to i just want to throw it out there for potentially a future discussion um but the the nature of consequences um just from a conversation from a friend the other day just brought up the the idea of consequences as a potential criticism of the show mm -hmm. that we don't necessarily always see consequences. So I think that there's maybe more conversation for us to have next time. We've got a little bit more open time on the podcast. Yeah. Um, however, that is absolutely something I'd like to see a bit more in season three and some consequences for Nate and potential consequences for, for other individuals. And I'll just throw it out there as a bomb. And maybe if anybody wants to write an email or thoughts about it, um, the uh, from my friend Lucas, he said his biggest problem with season two was there was no consequences really whatsoever um, from a financial aspect when they put the black tape over there mm. over there to 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 for uh, Dubai Air to cover them up to protest against them. Um, there was no no real consequences. Yeah. they found a new sponsor and Dubai Air, you know, made all the right political moves but pulling their sponsorship didn't seem to have any financial consequence on the club. Nobody really seemed to lose money. So this seemingly daring thing left them with nothing to actually pay for. And the same thing with some of Nate's behavior. We haven't fully seen the consequences for that, but I hope they visit that in season three. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And when that did happen, I assumed that we were going to be dealing with that. So like, yeah, it, it's another instance of that show kind of defying my expectations. Because um, I was while I was glad to not be spending several episodes be like, Oh, is the club broke? I don't know. Like it was I was at the same time. Yeah, I would be interested in having a conversation about criticisms of the show because we don't get super into that. But there are things that I think they could do better or be more clear about. But also, why criticize something that makes me as happy as it does? Absolutely. Can you hit me with some Django juice? I'm going to get you some Django juice. He said, maybe this is throwaway, but neither of us have listened to it. And we would never throw away a Django juice. Um, so here's old Smelly Buns himself. Hey, Jeff and Will, this is Django. Um, I'm a big fan of your podcast. And uh, I hope that for the next season, uh, or I, th I think maybe you guys are going back a season. I hope that what you're going to do is um, in between now and then, I hope you'll read all the books that are referenced in <laughs> this Ted Lasso show and uh, make sure that you, you know, know exactly what's going through the characters' heads. Um, anyway, I, I think the show's great and I can't wait to hear more. I did have one small quibble. Um, when I tried to start listening to the episode at the same time that I started watching 
the Ted Lasso episode, your podcast goes a little bit long. And uh, so I tried watching the Ted Lasso one twice in a row and it got way out of sync and didn't really make sense. So I don't know if that's something you can fix in your production or what, but um, hang on. Hang on just a sec. Um, I don't know if you can fix that in your production or if that's something that you, you know, would, would uh, be able to advise me on. Maybe I'm supposed to be listening to your podcast at double speed or something. Uh, anyway, dig the show. Uh, take it sleazy. I think that's probably something that uh, Ted Lasso would say. He likes he likes to rhyme things. Um, so take it sleazy, my easy peasies. That was maybe the most Django thing I've ever experienced in my <laughs> life. Django, you're mistaken. Uh, you're supposed to speed up the episode and then watch it four times through is the way that we're timing it. So each of them is a sped up times four, and that's how we're syncing it. Also, um, I think that the books that they're reading are actually all just a Batman Year One reference. <laughs> I think that it, I think that all of them are sort of feeding into this meta, this overarching uh, thing, which is Batman Year One. I'm pretty sure that uh, at one point Ted is walking with his hands in his pockets, and that's an overt Year One reference. Is that? Do we are we off base with Star Wars and everything is actually just a Year One reference? Um, uh, according to my friend Django, <laughs> I. Uh, I listen to my podcast on an app called Overcast and it has this feature called Smart Speed. And so that just adapts to the the speed of the episode and it speeds up any, any oh. awkward pauses and it just makes the episode and it constantly is bouncing the speed from like, you know, a 1.01 to like a 1.2 and all the way up and down and it closes all of those awkward silences and gaps. I think it's the perfect way to listen to our podcast, but also... I think if you listen to it on Overcast with Smart Speed turned on, it will sync up with the episode. So I think you should give it a try again. They are very smart in that regard. On that note, because I'm speeding us along a little bit to my poorly planned overpacked schedule, I'm going to head down to Seattle and see if I can actually catch a glimpse of Ted Lasso at this football game. Um, but thanks for joining us on this wrap up of season two and a kind of an opportunity to hear other people's opinions on it all. And we can't wait to start back in on season one here, I think next week. So look for that. Mm -hmm. Also, we should have the uh, Ted Lasper's podcast feed set up at that point. So I'll probably post this and the next couple episodes on the feed that's in right now, as well as the Ted Lasper's podcast feed while people catch up with that. Hey, I wanted to say thank you to, uh, to Sean, to Corwin, to Josh, to Ashley, to the Kipster, to Django. I'll throw a special shout out to our buddy, Nick Waite. Yeah. Who's been exchanging some emails back and forth that we haven't talked about that yet. Um, if you guys got more emails, you know, as Jeff said, starting season one next week, uh, keep sending emails. If you want to watch episode one in advance and send us any of your thoughts on episode one, feel free to send those and we'll share them. Feel free to send anything about you know this discussion, and we'll probably save that for the end of next week's podcast, so that if anybody's starting from the beginning, they can we can save it for the end as maybe a little you know light spoiler section. To yeah, talk about that. But keep sending your emails; they're great, they're wonderful. Appreciate you all for spending time with us. And, I echo um, that, but I also want to then toss those sentiments back at Will. Appreciate you, grateful for you. Thank you for spending time with me. I appreciate you just as much, if not more, Jeff. This has been a true honor and a privilege to get this far. And I'm really excited to get that feed up and 
start season one all over again and 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 double our fan base to six people oh man we're gonna have six people and it's gonna be big so do you have any ted lasso twitter to send us out on my friend absolutely i do uh last week was coach wooden's birthday ted wished wished coach wooden a happy birthday uh who and he's a wise man once said don't let what you can't do stop you from doing what you can do thanks to him I once sang Always Be My Baby at karaoke and started coaching a sport I knew nothing about. (laughs) See you next week. See you next week, John.